You're listening to The Bridge Metro West, located at 7 Strathmore Road in Natick, Massachusetts. For more information about The Bridge Metro West, our weekly Sunday gatherings, and other events, go to www.bridgemetrowest.com. Good morning, Bridge Metro West. Good morning, online family. Welcome. Thank you. Happy Easter. He is risen. I was just trying to see who grew up in some tradition. He is risen indeed. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a good Easter passage. And I'm not afraid of the word Easter. I'm not afraid of a bunny. I'm not worried about all that stuff. We could celebrate. God's not in the business of redeeming holidays. He never lost them. My good, well, I was going to say friend, Don Potter. We were talking about Don Potter this morning, and uh, he was a, a mentor for me in worship specifically. And uh, way back when, when I was a young man, he said, God is not in the business of redeeming music. He never lost it. We have this idea that God is trying to regain things that he already owns. And we're just here uh, exerting the influence of the kingdom in our sphere where we are right now. And it could be day one of salvation. It could be day 1,000. Either way, you can declare that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and it actually is. Amen? So we celebrate this day, and I like days. You know, it's not like necessarily in the spirit one day is great, so much greater than any other day, but there's something that happens when the people of God focus on an event that is so critical, that's so crucial to our development and our regeneration as people. Because in our sin, we're dead. Our spirits are dead. There's no way back to the Father. There's, there's no way to come in alive from the inside out. It's only through the cross. It's only by the blood of Jesus. And you can't earn your way into this thing. This is not a system of behavioral modification where suddenly you're behaving good enough to be considered a Christian. No, when you enter through the cross and he gives you a new identity, he begins to work on things in your life in the way that he he's fit. A lot of times in church, we start working on things in an order that we see fit because we'd rather have people look right than be right. Not here because, I mean, look around you. <laughs> A lot of weird people in this room right now. Yes, you do. But here we are on an Easter Sunday Resurrection Sunday, if you want to call it that, I'm good with anything. Sunday at the bridge where Jesus is alive. He is seated on a throne at the right hand of the Father, and that throne explodes into thunders and lightnings when he sits on it because nothing created can contain his glory. I say it often, and I, as much as I have said that, it's never grown old for me. That the Jesus of Revelation 4 is the same Jesus who was born as a baby and comforted into a manger, which is really a feeding trough, so that at a future time he could stand on the side of a mountain and say, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. 
And I know that we're not doing communion, but man, we do it daily. We're, we're coming up on 500 days of doing communion daily. We do it typically here on Sundays. We did it just this past Friday, a couple days ago, but every morning on the Bridge Fam online group on Facebook, we're receiving communion. And it's been so cool to see the testimonies that have come in because there's not only power in the name of Jesus, but there's power in this thing, this sacrament, this engagement that we call communion communion, when we remember his road to suffering, but I, I struggled to remember his road to suffering without also recalling a tomb that is empty. So for me, Good Friday, like traditionally the church is supposed to really focus in on the suffering and the death and, and I get all of that, but I, you know, he's not on a cross anymore and I can't live in that moment. I try to, to step into that moment of what it's like to endure the cross for the joy set before him, what it was like as the perfect lamb for sacrifice who, who came as God and as man and he subjected himself to unjust judgment and condemnation so that Paul could write in Romans 8.1 that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you are entered into or engaged in any form of religion that brings condemnation upon you, I invite you to come into Christ where he says, you know what? You're a new creature. You're a new creation. All things are new. We can let go of the former things in order to lay hold of that which is ahead of us. We are being transformed from one level of glory to another level of glory. I'm probably going to say all this stuff again because I'm not even into my notes yet. But it's not about doing the right things. It's about where you stand. When you stand in the sacred space of the name Jesus, he starts to do things in your life. Like Romans 2.1 says that his goodness or his kindness leads us to repentance. What does that mean? It's just that, it just means that when we encounter the goodness of God, it causes us to turn our faces toward him. And let me tell you, when you turn your face toward Jesus, it's really hard to live life the way that you lived it before something happens. His nature overtakes our nature. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was doing that in the first covenant in the Old Testament, and he's still doing that today. He said to Abram, walk before me and be blameless. What that really means in the Hebrew, he says, walk toward my face and my nature will overtake your nature and you will become blameless, not because of what you do, but because of who I am. It's the same thing. When we walk toward the cross, he, his nature overtakes our nature so that we are no longer who we were. We start to represent him. We start to look a little bit more like him. This is the God that we celebrate. This is the Jesus, the Yeshua, the anointed one that not only has moved upon us by the power of his cross and by the power of the spirit who is holy, but he has taken up residence inside of us. That's who we are and that's who he is. And so we have this resurrection account. We have Matthew 28. We have Mark 16. We have Luke 24. We have John 20. They're all good accounts. Four gospels, but one remarkable reality. The resurrection of Jesus that unfurled a miracle back 2,000 years ago. And that miracle is still unfurling today. When we look around this room, we're looking at miracles. The guy know Greta's testimony. I know Maybell's testimony. I know Verna's testimony. 
I know my testimony. People ask me, when, when did you get saved? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I was in the crib. <laughs> I was in my crib. <laughs> Literally, the crib. I don't know. I, I, never, I can't ever remember not having this idea of God. You know, my first encounter with God, I, I, you know, I'm not supposed to remember these things, but I was in my crib in our house in New Jersey. I was probably two years old before I even had the vocabulary to describe what I was doing. And, and this, this awe presence of God came into the room and I was either in a, a night vision, except it was an afternoon. So, cause when you're young, you, you little, you take naps, right? So it was still light out. But as far as I can tell, I was in a vision experience and that it was so intense that I began to cry as a two-year-old might do. And I can remember my mom walking in the room, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong. And I didn't have the words to tell her what was happening. Now, as we, as I grew, you know, I'm, I'm age three, I'm age four. We move up here. We're going to a Baptist church. And now I'm a little, I don't know, maybe I was concerned about salvation. So I accepted Jesus Christ every night before I went to bed. That was just part of my nightly prayer. Jesus come into my heart. You know, Riley, when he was young, he's, oh, he isn't here. Uh, Riley, when he was young, I captured this prayer on, on video. I don't know where the video is, but it's somewhere in the cloud, more than likely. And, uh, and he thanked Jesus for, for shutting his butt because that's what it sounded like to him. It, was, it took us a while, a couple of seconds to figure out what was he praying for. He's, oh, he's thanking Jesus for shedding his blood. <laughs> I mean... He was still young enough for me to actually thank Jesus for shutting his butt. Both are true and it's valid. Either way, you can thank Jesus and worship him for both things. Can I get an amen from all the mothers? It's not Mother's Day, but it just became that for you. So second, sorry, Riley. Second Corinthians five, verse 17 says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When we say yes to Jesus, and by saying yes to Jesus, I mean, you know, have we made him the primary authority in our life? And I say that often, but then I think about Jesus on the cross where he has, a, you know, thieves on each side of him that are being crucified. And one's hurling insults at him, and the other one recognizes that this man that's hanging in the middle on a cross, like he, he's innocent. There's something different about this guy. He's not like me. And so he says to Jesus, hey, would you remember me? I don't know that he made Jesus the primary ultimate authority in his life in that moment, but somehow Jesus, the one whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given, saw fit in that moment to say, you know, this day you'll be with me in paradise. So people ask me a lot of times, they say, well, if, you know, what about this person? Are they going to go to heaven or are they going to go to hell? If they do this sin, are they going to go to heaven or they go to hell? What about the people in Africa in a village that have never heard the gospel? Are they going to go to heaven or are they going to go to hell? And, and my response always is, I don't know. That's not my job. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him who sits on the throne. His name is Jesus. He gets to decide who goes. Our call is to make disciples of every nation. 
That's it. That's our job. It's not to figure out who deserves to be baptized or who doesn't. I got in this debate with a pastor of a particular persuasion who would not necessarily engage in the gifts of the spirit in the way that we do. But if he has a problem that's outside of his theology, he sends them to me. You know, you got a demonized person. Hey, can you, you do deliverance? Hey, you know, I got a, you know, this lady who's got dreams and I don't know how to interpret. Hey, can you interpret these dreams for me? Because I'm meeting with her at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, but you don't believe in this stuff. Like what's, what's going on? What's happening? But we, we had this debate and he was, he was asking a, you know, a group of us, a group of pastors. And, and his question was, you know, do you, you know, do you put people through classes before you baptize them? You know, do you, how, do you, how do you make sure that they're really saved before we baptize them? And I was like, I don't know. I don't think that's my job. Biblically, I don't, I don't see like, you know, Peter like figuring out who should, who, if people are really saved before they baptize them. They just had a meeting. They had a river. People said yes or whatever they said. And then they got dunked. That was it. There were no classes. They didn't, you know, they didn't, you know, have all the, the council of Jerusalem get together and vet people to make sure because somehow it's like, I'm going to be in trouble if I baptize someone who, who hasn't said yes. As a matter of fact, I have baptized someone here that I knew hadn't accepted Christ because they told me that. They said, uh, I guess I, I just figured I, I tried, I guess. I was like, oh, and now I'm having this conversation in my head with this, this guy that I, this pastor that I had this conversation not long before that. I'm like, oh, what if he's watching when we do this? Like what happens? Like, is he going to come at me? You know, the religious police going to come at me. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And the Lord said, I had to ask the Lord in that moment, what do you want me to do? And he was very clear. He said, baptize her just because she's willing. Okay. So we did that and we baptized her and she, she was, uh, had been a, a drug abuser and had scars all over her arms because as she inhaled the drugs that she was normally doing, the stuff would pour on her and would actually burn chemical burns into her arms. So she had scars all over her arms. I didn't pay any attention to that. And I had never seen any emotion on this woman. And so now we're, we're doing the baptisms and we're praying over people. And, you know, we got the big tank over here. I call it tubby time. That's our re religious. So we, you know what I'm saying? I'm telling a story about you. And so she, she walks up and, and, you know, we're doing, you know, we're prophesying over people. We're praying over people. It's really good. And, and then, you know, people are giving their testimony in the microphone and, and now it's her turn. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. What is she going to say? What is she going to say? What are you, gonna... you didn't know that part, but I was like, oh yeah. So she, she gets up and, and she gets in the tub and she said, I want to get baptized because I've never known a day of joy and peace in my life. And I was like, that's good enough. So we prayed over her. We gave her like extra prayer, you know, dumped her in, brought her up. And I was kind of looking in your eyes. I was looking real intently, like see what was going on. And there was just maybe just the slightest sign of tears or maybe it was just the water. And we went, we finished the day. It was an amazing day. And I didn't think much of it. And I walked into church the next week and she came bounding up to me, Pastor Paul, Pastor Paul, Pastor Paul. I saw a brightness 
on her face that I had never seen before that. She pulls up her sleeve and she says, look, the scars were gone. Jesus doesn't operate the way that we think that he should operate sometimes. And he doesn't really need to because all authority in heaven and earth have been given unto him. And so when we are in Christ in the way that he sees fit, he says, you're a new creation. Everything passes away. Things become new. I've experienced healing. I, I was in that moment where the doctor was looking at me and saying, you've got a vascular tumor on your pancreas. And they put me up in an oncology ward. We weren't even home. We were like in semi-rural North Carolina. I lost like 25 pounds in about five days or 30 pounds. I weighed less than what I do now. I'm pretty skinny right now. Ish. I'm going to keep it home. I'm going to reel it in. My thoughts are already gone. And it was, I, I, rem, I remember a couple of our prayer people came up to me, you know, and I was sick. And I would, you know, when we made it back up here, I didn't miss a Sunday. I only had the strength to make, I was a worship leader at the time. I only had the strength to maybe lead one song or two songs. And then I would have the team finish the Sunday. And we were bringing in other worship leaders or we had worship leaders here um, to do that. And after one of the services, I won't name names, but a couple of the ladies came up to me and they were weeping. And they're like, we just gotta see healing. We gotta see something real. We've gotta see God move. It's time. And I, I'm starting to feel bad for them because I'm, I'm pretty chill. I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm not well, but I'm not focused on my infirmity because it was never my identity. And so I, I'm like, God, you got to do it for them. I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm good with healing, but man, I'm going to feel really bad because I was up against a surgery where they were going to cut off, you know, remove my spleen, cut off the tail of my pancreas. There was going to be a drain hanging out my gut for a couple of months. I mean, it was not going to be a good thing. And I'm, you know, I'm in that, I'm in that situation, but I'm looking at them. I was like, God, you got to do it for them. What's going to happen to their faith if I don't get healed? Like what? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. You got to do it. Well, we go in for our pre-op evaluation. My wife is a codger. She, she asked for one more scan that they didn't want to do as a particular scan that I hadn't had yet. We go and do the scan before the surgery is set. And uh, long story short, the doctor comes in and says, hey, we're seeing something different than what we've seen before. Do you mind if we take a look at it? Two hours go by. That's one long look at one scan. And his nurse practitioner comes out and she goes, I don't know what's happening. His appointments are backing up and he's not here. I'm gonna go find him. She goes down. If you've ever been to Brigham, uh, Brigham and Women's or Dana-Farber, it's like the whole basement is the radiology department. It's massive. It goes like a couple blocks. Like you could take laps and burn some fat running around that place. And so uh, she comes up a half hour later and she goes, he's been down there looking at all of your films and all of your pathology for the last two hours. He's called in every specialist in the hospital. And all I can say is that there's no tumor and we've canceled your surgery. That's what God does. And that's good, but that pales in comparison to having the spirit of God come upon us and cause our spirit to come alive so that we are a new creation. We're a new creature. Man, I want to be new every day. 
And you can be because his mercies are new every day. He's still transforming us. He doesn't stop. But when you come into Christ, you will find that there's still people in your history. There's still people in your past that they knew you back when and they want to keep you in the place where you were instead of see you in the place that you are. And there's a variety of reasons for that. And I, I don't really care what they are. It doesn't really matter to me. Because some people will never let you live beyond where, uh, let you live beyond who you were. They will never let you live beyond who you were because they're perhaps convicted by who you are. Because some people grow and some people stay in their stuff. It may not seem like a choice, but it is a choice and it's a daily one. The gifts are given without repentance. Many are called and few are chosen. Why are few chosen? Because some people choose to grow. Some people choose to pass through the fires of testing and some people shrink back. This is why I'm so focused on Hebrews 10, 39, where it says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We are people of faith that preserve their souls. In the context of that scripture, the writer is referring to Israel in the Old Testament when God descended upon the mountain in the fullness of his presence, the people of Israel shrunk back. But because now we have been, been given Christ, we are in Christ, we're a new creature, we're a new creation, we don't have to shrink back. When God comes and moves and the the awesome power of his might. Instead of running away, we can go running toward him because what was the sound of judgment is once again now the sound of Abba, Father. Dad showed up. That's what we want. The manifest presence of the living God. I could just stay in that moment for a long time. But we're always shifting, we're always moving, we're always growing. We're either growing toward God or we're growing away from him. We might think that we're static, but there is no static in the kingdom. There is no uh, stagnation, there's, there's no stationary. We're either moving toward him or we're moving away from him because even if we're standing still, he's on the move. His kingdom is always advancing and so we're either advancing with him or we're just staying in our stuff because it's a more comfortable place to be. And so we're always being transformed. Only God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I could go into a lot of examples in the first covenant, Old Testament text, where he is putting on display his true heart. He didn't really change, we did. Humanity changed. We think that, you know, the God of the Old Testament is really mean and really angry. We don't see the moments time after time after time where he stepped down into our level, came at our level and said things like, you know, beware, sin is crouching at your door. Or he says things like, you know, walk toward my face and my nature will overtake your nature. That's before the cross. And he was still in the business of redemption. It was always his plan to gather for himself a people. He wants family and he's the king. And so family is what he's gonna get. So God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But in Christ, we are constantly being transformed from one level of glory to another level of glory. And that's according to 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's all in the word. We're always being transformed. We are in this cycle of transformation. 
Jesus came as the lamb that was slain from the very foundations of the earth. Before he was pierced by the hands of man, he was identified as a lamb for sacrifice. And he still bears the wounds today. Why? Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He came that we would have life and life abundantly, according to John 10, verse 10. He came to not only restore the original calling, commissioning, and identity of humanity, but to build upon his plan with something better, a greater covenant between God and man. I hear a lot of people talking about how, you know, well, God is restoring us back to the garden. No, he, he's never asking us to go backward. He's given us something better. And it's even in scripture that the old covenant, the first covenant is a fading glory and the new covenant is a new glory. It's a greater glory. And so that's what we have today. But we can still reference what our purpose was in the beginning to understand how we are to be walking and even in greater measure on the other side of the cross. In Genesis 1.28, humanity was blessed, was called, and commissioned right out of the gate. There's dust and there's dirt and however God saw to do that whole thing. And then in the Hebrew, there's this picture of God kneeling down and releasing a blessing. First thing. You know, I've sat with, I sat with a pastor on a plane for 15 hours. I was supposed to be upgraded to first class. And by the time the plane was boarding, I got bumped. How many of you know you really want to be in first class on a 15 hour flight? I mean, I'm having spine surgery in three weeks. And I, you know, you can pray for me. I appreciate that. I've had a lot of prayer. I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to the nap at this point and some forced time off. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. I feel pretty good today, not in a lot of pain, but let me tell you, when you're on a 15-hour flight and you got spine issues, like you want to lay supine, as they say. But I got bumped. I mean, I was like number eight. There was like 24 seats available and I was number eight. And by the time they boarded the plane, I don't know where all these status people came, or came from because like I had pretty good status at the time, but they all jumped ahead of me. And now I'm like, I'm not, a, I'm not just like, I, I got bumped all the way back. Now, fortunately, as the boarding progressed, they moved me forward into Delta Comfort in an aisle seat even. So I was blessed, but I was seated next to this pastor and we were, beginning to talk about the things of God. And he was asking me what I did and what, you know, he's here. And, and we got into this conversation about the blessing of God because he, you know, he started talking about that prosperity gospel. Look, I, I, there's, look, there's extremes in every end. There's a prosperity gospel that's, that basically teaches that your spirituality is equal to the number in your checkbook. Like, I, don't, I don't even know who those people are. I just know that it's out there. I, that's not where I live. But for you to tell me that literally the words out of his mouth and he was angry when he said it, I don't believe that God wants to bless people. <sighs> Genesis 1.28. First thing he does is he blesses. The word of God is living and active. The word of God never falls to the ground void. Therefore, 
Even after the fall, his blessing does not cease. As a matter of fact, we see the blessing of God dotted all throughout history, all throughout scripture. But I'm, okay, you want to live that way, that's good. You go forth and be not blessed, and I'll take your blessing and mine. And I have. So in the beginning, we were blessed, we were called, we were commissioned. To bring what? The culture of heaven on earth. And now we're in this position where we're on the other side of the cross. We're in a new covenant and we can see that the cross blessed, the empty tomb called, and the ascended king commissioned. There was this process that happened that, you know, salvation is free, but overcoming is an option. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said, many are called, fewer, fewer chosen. You know, salvation comes, it's a free gift. You know, when we say yes to Jesus, at some point he comes in and he says, as far as the east is from the west, I've cast your sin from you. When we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, not because of what we did, but because of who he is. That's just how he rolls. But this whole process of him coming down to earth, this whole process of him dying on a cross and being resurrected from a sealed tomb and then ascending to the right hand of the Father so that at a future time, an apostle could write to us, hey, you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There is no being seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus unless he is seated in heavenly places. And so there is this whole process, even in the new covenant, where we are blessed right out of the gate when we say yes to Jesus. But then the calling of God comes on all of us. Not, I'm not talking about vocational ministry. Wherever you are, whatever you do, I'll be right here waiting for you. No, whatever you are, whatever you do, you are in full-time ministry today. Can I get an amen? So you are called to bring the culture of heaven on earth. It's not on me. I can't do all that stuff. I don't know your people. You know your people. Show them Jesus. If everybody in this room just led one person to Christ and brought them to church this year, we would double. When's the last time you led someone to Jesus? It's actually not that hard. It's really not. People are hungry. The world is crazy right now. Is it crazier than it's ever been? Like, let's, let's put the brakes on that and read some history books. It's weird. For our generation, this is weird. Like, we haven't really seen anything like this. People are open and people are hungry for the authentic. They're not hungry necessarily for a religious process. They're hungry for the actual presence of the living God. And so in whatever station of life, whatever your vocation is, you are in full-time ministry because on the other side of the cross, we are blessed, we are called, and we are commissioned as sons and daughters of royalty. So because of the cross, because of Jesus' death and his resurrection, and because the Holy Spirit and all of his power lives in me, lives in we, I am, we are restored 
In the beginning, humanity walked with God. Now we can have God living inside of us only in, by, through Christ Jesus. And there is no greater reality, no greater truth than this. But somehow it can be tempting to live in a lower reality. And that's a popular thing to say right now. You know, people will talk about, well, you know, this is just my truth. Truth is not relative to our experience. It never has been. This is like the first time in history where people have made truth relative. It's not relative. Truth is concrete. Truth is static, meaning it's not dynamic. It doesn't shift with times and seasons and culture. I've never been overly concerned with being relevant to culture. My concern is bringing heaven's culture to earth. I've flown around the world. I've been in multiple different cultures. You know, I, I've said this before. I've slept in five-star hotels and I've slept on dung floor huts. And I can say this with all authenticity and with, without even a shred of doubt that even though I've slept in, slept, I've slept, I've slept in two drastically different positions in the process of doing ministry, they both felt the same. Because when you operate, whether you're operating in a hut by candlelight at midnight or you're operating in a conference room with a thousand people, it feels the same because all I'm actually doing is I'm looking to see, God, what are you doing in this moment? Kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the culture and the reality of the king and his kingdom is the same no matter where my feet are standing. Now, overall, would I rather sleep in a five-star hotel than a dung four hut? Yeah, pretty much. Because if they like you, they spread fresh dung. And they always seem to like me. I got land there. I mean, I've been given plots of land. You know, our missionary there, Kelly Kosky, he was like, man, nobody ever, nobody ever gave me land. They just call me donkey. And they do. Wherever you go, in Transkai, in South Africa, people will see his red truck and they'll be like, hey, donkey! Like he's never even been to that village and they know who he is. It's just the way that it works there. But we just say, kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It doesn't matter if you're here on a Sunday morning or you're in your workplace on a Monday morning. It really doesn't. I know it, this is a little bit easier because you don't have all these people around you that you don't like unless, well, I mean, you might. Jesus said, if I be lift, lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. It doesn't mean he's going to draw everybody that you like. There's some weird people here. Come on. I mean, hello. You don't have to like me. You just have to love me. And so we're not, we're not operating on a truth that is relative. I'm not interested in your truth. People have said that to me. Well, this is just my truth. I don't care about your truth. I don't. I don't even want, let's not, I, look, how about you pray for me with your truth and I'll pray with you, pray for you with my God and let's see what happens. I don't care if like you're Jehovah's Witness, you're Mormon, I don't care if you're in Wicca, I don't care what your deal is. Greater is he that is in me than he, he that's in the world. Like I faced off with like n nasty government agents and hostile nations and I faced off with witch doctors. 
Neither of those is like, I mean, it's nothing compared to facing someone with a religious spirit in church. Man, when those religious police come after you, man, they will just suck the life out of you if you let them. All the other guys, like, hey, worst thing that's going to happen is like they're going to, I don't know, put you in jail or the other ones might like throw a spear at you. Either way, I win. But even though we have this truth in Christ Jesus that is unshakable, it's unmovable, does not shift with the changing seasons of time. Like God, look, God was never shaken by COVID. People were, people are. Some people in this season have made a disease their God. What does that mean? That you've just held a disease between your face and his. That's it. I'm not, I'm not talking about politics. I'm not talking about all the crazy stuff that's on social media. I'm just saying, I'm not interested in any of that. I'm just saying, look, and there's a plate. Look, you don't have to ask Holy Spirit to wash your hands. You're not like, you're not acting in more faith if you, if you don't wash your hands or you don't wear a mask. That's not more faith. Sometimes you got to do things because you want to love your community. And I'm not even talking about washing, washing your hands. Just wash your hands. So you, you don't got to wake up and ask Holy Spirit, should I brush my teeth today? Please do. Because I prayed for you at the altar. And don't have like the garlic pills or whatever that it is that you take in the morning or is it in your eggs, your omelet? I don't know what you eat. But when I pray for you, I'm about to be the one that's going to go down. Brush your teeth. You don't have to ask Holy Spirit. Somehow, even though we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, there's somehow in this dimension. And he says to us, behold, I make all things new. You're a new, crea uh, new creature. You're being transformed from one level of glory to another level of glory. Sometimes it, it's just tempting to live in a lower reality. Sometimes we get, we become so acquainted with our pain our physical pain, our disease, our woundedness, our history, we get so acquainted with our pain that we become married to it. What do I mean by that? You become one with your pain. You become one with your infirmity. What do I mean by that? Some people identify with their pain. Some people don't even know how to function if they weren't sick or in pain in some way because they've lived with it so long that it's just become who they are. They're more excited about their next appointment than they are about getting in the presence of God. Now, I could say that about my surgery. I'm, I'm getting the fear of God on me now. Like now I gotta, I'm re-examining my heart, but yeah, I've had a lot of prayer. And I'm okay with that. Look, I'm, you know, I've, had, I don't know, I've had a lot of prayer. It's fine. I've had a lot of hands laid on me. I feel peace about this. This has been a long process. You know, they were going to do this surgery last fall. I was like, ah, let's wait. I think I'm feeling pretty good until I wasn't. I'm not that bad. My right arm goes numb every day at some point. It's not a big deal. I got a left arm. It's fine. But if God will use this to get me to take a nap and take a couple weeks off, I'm good with that. 
That's fine. He works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But let me tell you what I'm not doing. I'm not part of like some spinal cord injury support group. I'm not joining all these, uh, you know, forums trying to figure out, well, what do I do after this surgery? It was the same thing when the doctor told me I had ulcerative colitis and I started to go on the web. Now, this was back in the old days of web, like when you had dial up, you know, and it made the modems made that sound like. And then you would click on a picture and then you go make a pot of coffee. You'd vacuum the floors make your bed, and when you came back to the computer, the picture was almost downloaded. So I started Googling. Well, no, Google wasn't even a thing. I don't know, it was Netscaping, or what was the deal back then? Yeah, it could be. Uh, Ask Jeeves, I would, it was before that even. I was on CompuServe. My email address was a bunch of numbers at CompuServe.com. That's, what, that's back in the day. That was my email. They didn't even have, like, you couldn't even make your email address whatever you want. Some of you guys don't even know how hard we had it. <laughs> so I'm looking for like information on ulcerative colitis. I don't know what it is. Like, I don't, I don't really know what am I supposed to do. And I find this form after waiting for about an hour for it to load. And it loads and I, I start to register to be a part of the form so I can read everything and do everything, do all the things. And the Holy Spirit came at me so hard and he was like, no. You have no affinity with these people. Because this is not your identity. This is not who you are. This is something that is on you, but it is not you. And I stopped and I said, okay, I am never going to identify with the affliction that is upon me. Afflictions will come upon us. For some reason, I have faith for COVID, but I still got a cold. I've never had COVID. I've just decided that COVID dies when it hits me. Now I need to expand that to whatever virus the cold virus is. Cold viruses die when it hits me. I, I didn't go there. I got faith for COVID, but I don't, I don't know what it is. But, and Greta got a cold, and I don't know, people got colds. Lisa, my sister Lisa got a cold. Other people got colds. We need to have a cold. Natalie, we need to have a cold flu zone. Where are you at? Cold flu zone. On it, let's go. Because Natalie was the one at the beginning. She was like, no, no, COVID ain't here. And, you know, we've never been a super spreader, whatever that is. Because God is God. I never want to identify with my circumstances. I want to be known as a man who has been with God. That's it. When people identify with their circumstance, with their infirmity, with their pain, with their affliction... And people can even identify with the accusations that come at them from the mouths of men. We can come under what people say about us instead of standing on what he says about us. And when you are standing on what he has already said about us, when the accusations come, they just roll off your back. Man, I've had people like right in my face tell me, I hate your worship, but I was a worship leader. I didn't even want to come to this conference because I knew you were leading worship. I was like, I mean, the whole conference was over at this point, so I guess she endured it for the joy set before her. 
I was at the hotel eating my breakfast at seven in the morning because I, I knew like on a Sunday at seven in the morning, nobody's eating breakfast. I didn't want to talk to anybody, but she started talking to me. Not only that, she went through the whole story. She was walking in the back, like cussing under her breath while I led worship. I mean, it's fine. It's not your jam. She went up to John Paul Jackson when John Paul showed up and he, she's like, hey, do you like this? And he said, well, Micah does. My son does. So at the end of the whole thing, she repents to me. She goes, well, you know, I just want to tell you all these things because I, I want to repent to you for talking about you and not, not actually bringing this to you. I was like, oh, great. I forgive you. Bless you. Go away. In Jesus' name. But I guess forgiveness wasn't enough. So she started through the whole story again. Did the whole thing. Not only that, she started drinking my coffee. My French toast and bacon got cold. Look, guys, I've been through trials. It wasn't even the stuff that was coming out of her mouth. It was the stuff that was not going in mine. I didn't feel like I could eat French toast and bacon while I was having, you know, insults hurled at me. So then Lauren Sanford, you know, Lauren passed away this past year, um, but, you know, and his dad was John Sanford, who, you know, him and his wife, they established Elijah House Ministry globally, all that, the whole method of um, inner healing and all that stuff. And, and John Sanford was a father to John Paul Jackson. He was a father to this house in the early days. And Lauren was a good friend. And we would just, we would paint each other on social media quite a bit. And sometimes I would... Well, anyway, and so he walks up, he was at this conference and he walks up and he says, hey, you know, can I sit with you? And I was like, oh, by all means, please do. So she starts to tell him what she was saying to me. And he looks at me like, I was like, yeah, man, I've been here for an hour doing this like that. So he starts talking to her so that I can eat my French toast and bacon and finally, I guess Lauren was mature enough because he, you know, he was, I don't know, like 15, 20 years my senior. Um, you know, he was he, mature enough to actually forgive her or I don't know what happened because I wasn't really paying attention, but it was enough for her that she left in peace. And I was fine. The whole process, I was like, really, God, this is the best you got. Like, this is how you're going to test me on a Sunday morning? Because like back then doing conferences, like I would lead worship two to three times a day. I don't recommend it. Don't do that. You'll destroy your voice. Um, I've done quite a bit of damage to my voice, but don't do that. So don't do that. But, you know, so when you get to the end of a week, like you're tired, like you're ready. And if you're introverted and you're doing all that, like you want to stab yourself in the face. Don't do that either, but that's just how you feel. It's sort of metaphorical and just maybe a little bit literal. So at the end of all this, I got this lady who's in my personal space. You know, when your identity is in him, you are not offended by those who criticize your function because my function is not my identity. So you can dislike the way that I speak. I'm not going to probably change. You can ask him to change me and he might. I think I'm probably better at speaking than I was 10 years ago. And maybe there's a little more authority and there's a little more anointing. I'd like to think so. But the reality is that my identity is still the same. I still wake up and ask the Lord, what do you want to hear today? And hopefully it's what's on my iPad because I feel more comfortable when I do my notes. But sometimes I got to break out and not do that because that's what he's doing. Now, for the most part, I know when that's going to happen. I just feel this 
kind of static around my notes. I'm still doing, I'm still preparing because a man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. But I already, in most of the time, like nine times out of 10, probably more than that, when that happens, I know, oh, something is gonna go off the rails on Sunday. And so then I come in, I'm ready and I'm watching and I'm hoping that it's not the message that I've prepared because it's not that great on those particular days. So we can identify with him or we can identify with something that is lesser than him. Our circumstance, our situation, our, our infirmity, our affliction. I've been diagnosed in my life with clinical depression. It is not me. It's something that's on me. My mom would ask me if she was still alive. She'd say, are you drinking too much coffee? Are you eating too much chocolate? And are you sleeping enough? Yeah, I'm drinking too much coffee. I'm eating too much chocolate. And no, I'm not sleeping enough. And then she would say, do that. And the depression will go away. She's probably right. But she's in a great cloud of witnesses now. So she can't ask me those questions anymore. Mom. I don't identify with that affliction. Occasionally, I have to live through the reality of it. And that's okay. We can live through the reality of pain and suffering, but not be identified with it. The problem is it, is it actually takes less energy to cling to misery than it does to cling to victory. This is why so many people cling to misery, because it takes less energy to do that. It takes less energy to allow circumstances to roll over you than it does to overcome. But in the end, it will drain every ounce of hope you ever had. And in just a few minutes, we're going to have teams up here to pray with you, to pull you out of your stuff and pull you into him. Maybe you don't know Jesus. We're going to introduce you today. Because this is real. We really believe this stuff. We're not here marking time. We're not here to get goosebumps and, you know, feel good so that we can go back to life. We're here to transform New England. That's what we're here to do. And he can do it through you. But the issue is that we can be in prison so long that we're more afraid of freedom than we are of our chains. I love that song, there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. There's a lot of chains that have been broken and we're just standing in the middle of them because we don't know what's on the other side of it. I know what this space feels like. I know what these chains feel like. I know what this sickness feels like. I know what this pain feels like. I know what depression and anxiety feels like. I know what addiction feels like, but I don't know what freedom feels like. And so I'm afraid, it's Stockholm Syndrome. It's actually a psychological phenomenon where if you are kept captive by our captor for a, a certain length of time, you may actually grow an affection toward the one who has imprisoned you. But Jesus says, my cross, my blood, my voice, my word breaks the dominion and the, the power of the law of sin and death and it invites you into the law of life. This is why people don't say yes to Jesus. Oh, we make all kinds of excuses. We talk, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not a religious person. I'm not asking you to be a religious person. I'm not asking you to follow a system. I'm asking you to follow the spirit. I'm asking you to break out of what 
you were and break into who he says that you can be in Christ. I remember walking up the street toward my church in Milford and there was these two guys and I don't know if it was low income apartments, I'm not really sure what it was, that was right next to the church and they started to kind of make fun of me because I was going to church. Now I was young and brash and maybe a little less grace filled than I am now and Maybe I didn't speak the truth in love. I, you know, it was a long time ago. I can't remember. But I looked at those guys. Something in me snapped. And I said, what do you guys got going on? That's so good. That's so much better than what I have right now. That you would say these things to me. Because I know who I am. I know that I'm free. I know that my, my sin is cast from me and it's not because of who I am. I can't remember what I said. I'm just saying stuff now, but, but that's how I came at them. And so I'm not intimidated by someone who says, well, I don't need Jesus. I just be like, yes, you do. I'm not intimidated by someone else's misery. I'm not intimidated by someone else's affliction. I am not intimidated by sickness or disease because I know who I am in Christ and I know that he is able to do above and beyond anything that I could ever ask or think. I'm intimidated by wasps. <laughs> and some bees. And any bee if it surprises me. And basically any insect that has like a deep buzz and I can't really locate where it is and what it is. I've been scared in my office more by stink bugs than I have been by wasps. But man, if they fly like at your ear, it's like a deep buzz. And I don't know what that thing is, so I'm running. It was warm this week. I don't know how this wasp got into my office. And Jeremy was in my office talking to me and I, I could hardly pay attention to what he was saying because I was like, and that poor thing looked tired. It was barely hanging on to the, the tiles. And then I walked out of the office and when I walked back in, it was gone. No, it's not good because now I don't know where it is. I didn't kill it. I don't know if Jeremy, I didn't ask him. It's just gone. And I know it probably crawled in my bag so that when I get home, it can eat me. <laughs> He's still working on me. I'm not identified by that thing, but I don't want it around me. Those things were not there in the garden. I don't care what anybody says. The, God created other things to pollinate the plants. Jenner's back there. She keeps bees. I, I walked around your bees, like honeybees I'm okay with, as long as they don't surprise me. I have to know where they are locationally around me. And then I can just breathe deep and practice, you know, deep scriptural meditations. And I like honey. Anyway. Where was I? I'm still thinking about that. I don't know where that wasp is. Could be. It's probably in that bag right there right now. Okay. So what I was saying is that you can be in prison so long that you're more afraid of freedom than you are your chains. Step out of those things. I've even heard some people equate their infirmity with suffering with Jesus. This is a lie. 
This is a false witness whispered by the voice of the enemy to, the, to tie the children of God to a lesser reality. I've heard people say, well, God sent me this, this infirmity, this sickness to teach me a lesson. Well, okay, um, God called me to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, to cast out demons and raise the dead. I think you qualify for probably two of those right now. So let's deal with the sickness, let's deal with the demon that's whispering this false doctrine to you. But we think, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that we think are suffering with Jesus that don't really meet the criteria. Isaiah 53 in the NIV says this. I don't do the NIV very often, but this one's a good one. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. What does that mean? He was despised so much, he was afflicted so much, he was beaten so much that he was disfigured to the point where people didn't even want to look at him. And so in the beginning, when first man and first women fell, they hid themselves from the face of God. And now Jesus on his road to suffering, he's having people hide their faces from the face of God because they can't bear to look at him in that state. But even though Jesus was familiar with pain, it was never his identity. He was still the king of glory. He was still the God of creation. He was still the one who would say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Oh, death, where is your sting? When that spirit of death came to the cross, like this is not in scripture, but man, I know that the spirit of death had no authority to take the life of Christ. How do we know that? Because Jesus decided when he was gonna die because all authority in heaven and on earth were given to him. And so I imagine that spirit of death coming toward Jesus and, and that thing's coming at him. Maybe he's sneering. Maybe I finally got the upper hand on this guy and Jesus is on the cross and he's broken and he's bleeding and he looks at the spirit of death and he says, you back up. I'm not done here yet. And then he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That we, we think that God forsook him, but what he was doing was he was quoting the first line of a psalm. And in Hebrew culture, when you first quote the first line of a psalm, you better read the whole thing because in the end, it's about victory. It's about the God who is victorious. Let me tell you that in that moment, he had to do a couple more things. He had to say, oh, Father, would you forgive them for they know not what they do? And then he had to say it is finished and then he said father into your hands I commit my spirit okay spirit of death now you can take me he never stopped being God even in the midst of his pain that's why he could endure the cross for the joy set before him because he could see through to the other side of his pain so your infirmity is not your cross. Your circumstance is not your sacrifice. The cross is not something that is put on you involuntarily. Your circumstance is something that you have to lay down, but the cross is something that you have to pick up. 
And Jesus isn't carrying a cross anymore. The cross is something he was attached to for a short time. He endured the cross for the joy set before him. He learned obedience through his suffering. That just means that he perfected the idea of obedience through his suffering. He didn't have to learn something that he wrote the book on. But he was perfecting the concept and the idea of it on earth in earthly human form so that he could be the prototype to show us what is possible. And so, yes, he learned, he perfected obedience through his suffering. Jesus was so adept at operating by the substance of faith that he could see the reality of life on the other side of the cross as though it was already in the manifest reality of the presence. That's why he could say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If somebody beat me and someone nailed nails through my arms and through my feet, I'm not sure that I would have the wherewithal to say something like that. I might be like the disciple to say, hey, God, rain fire down on their city. Don't they know who I am? I'm a son of God. I'm a son of the Most High. I'm, I've been commissioned as an apostle by Papa Dr. Che on the right reverend of H.I.M. How dare they nail me to a cross? But Jesus said, no, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He said to the thief on the cross, this day you'll be with me in paradise. He's not carrying a cross anymore, but he does bear the wounds. And so in the same way, he got back to the father by passing through the cross. We can't get to him without passing through the cross and you can't carry your identity through the cross this is why certain sins of identity they're so difficult to crack because people identify with a lesser reality but no one gets to do that no one gets to put any identity before Christ Christ says when you come to me behold you're a new creation that's the end of the story and now we're just operating in a way where we're walking with him so that he can transform us into the reality of the new creation that's within us. Does that make sense? So you can carry your identity to the cross, but you can't carry it through the cross. Once you pass through, old things die and new things are birthed. You are a new creation. And Jesus was there at creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word knelt beside the dust of first man, first woman, and breathed a blessing, declared their calling and commissioning so that they would take their rightful place. But now, the power of Christ does not simply restore us to the original plan. The power of Christ elevates us to the master plan. 2 Corinthians 3.11 says this, for, the, for if that which fades away was with glory, that's the first covenant, much more that which remains is in glory. We remain in glory. When you come into Jesus, even in the midst of your circumstance, look, 
I'm not talking about having a rosy lifestyle on the other side of the cross. I'm just saying that he gives you grand perspective in the circumstance that you find yourself in. He erases the power of sin, but sometimes we still have to live out the consequences of it. When I, you know, I've been asked to go to South Africa in the fall, and when I go, I likely will connect with Andrew May, who's our, one, our, another one of our missionary, missionaries there, and he does prison ministry. And people, get, people are getting saved in prisons all around the world. As far as the east is from the west, their sin is cast from them, but they're still walking out the consequences of their actions. Even in prison, our brothers, our sisters in Christ remain in glory. Because Jesus said, hey, I make all things new, not just some things, not just the parts of you that you have together. No, I make all things new. Jesus' sacrifice offered salvation, salvation from ourselves, from our history, and from an eternity of darkness that separated us from the glory and the goodness of God. Sin built a wall between our face and his. People ask me sometimes, oh, well, is this a sin? Is that a sin? Is this? Look, sin is anything that you hold between your face and God. If you would rather engage in this activity or engage in this idea than with the presence of God, that has become your idol in that moment. That's what sin is. And so it builds a wall between our face and his. Jesus sacrifices the wrecking ball that will break down that wall and lead you into a greater freedom that you have never known possible if you say yes to him and if you choose in that moment to step out of the chains that he's already broken for you. God so loved the world, he so loved you and me that he sent his son even though humanity continues to ignore his divinity, while some still blame him for every atrocity, even though we have despised his existence, we have made his name a thing to be flippantly uttered instead of fervently revered, we look to almost anything else, everything else, before we look to him. Yet, God the Father so loved you that he sent Jesus to take on the punishment for sin in your place. Jesus loves you so much that he endured the pain of rejection, beatings, nails in his hands and his feet, his body broken, bruised, disfigured, so that the life he gave up, you can now have for free. And not just life, but life abundantly. He knew what was coming. He knew what was about to happen. And he still said to God, the Father, not my will, but yours be done. God so loved you. God so loves you in this moment. Whoever you are, whatever you have done, wherever you have been, hope is speaking another story over you today. In just a moment, we're going to have ministry teams come up. I know, well, we've gone a little bit long. I got a ham in the oven. I don't care. We're going to come up and we're going to pray pray for you. We're going to release healing. We're going to release salvation. We're going to release deliverance because the kingdom of God is at hand and what he has for you today is better than what you've been experiencing before. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 
is for the whoever's. Wherever you came from, whatever you've done, and whoever you are, I want you to know that according to John 3:16, right now you have an arms wide open welcome from God. Anybody, everybody, anywhere, whoever. John 3:16 isn't just for kids. It's for hurting mothers, broken fathers, and all of us. It isn't just for t-shirts and tattoos and bumper stickers and bookmarks. Because John 3:16 is not a decoration. It's a declaration. John 3:16 is an invitation to redemption, reconciliation, forgiveness, and eternal life. John 3:16 reminds us that the story of God isn't about a few special people making it up to God, but God making his way down to the rest of us, to the whoever's. John 3:16 is what God thinks about you. You are loved, welcomed, valued, seen, and you are invited. You are not half-loved, you are not unseen, and you are not forgotten. John 3.16 is for the whoever's. John 3.16 is for you. John 3.16 is for me. Let's stand. I want to call the ministry teams right up, but before we open up this space, and yeah, we'll prophesy over you, we'll interpret dreams, we'll drive this spirit of the living God deep into your history and pull out the roots in your lives that have held you back from destiny today. But if you're here or you're online and you've not said yes to Jesus, you've not allowed him to be the ultimate authority in your life, this is your moment, this is your time, this is that day. We don't do Easter service just to have a nice Easter service. We're in the business of transforming lives. We're in the business of seeing people elevated in Christ, seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're here to break poverty and that poverty mentality off of people's minds. We're here to eradicate from you the orphan spirit that causes you to feel like you've been left behind. God can catch you up in a moment, but sin is the issue, but it's no issue for him. Because when he said on the cross it is finished, he had you in mind. So we're gonna pray this prayer together. And then we're gonna release and impart the spirit in this room and online. And we're gonna open up this altar space for you. We're only in-house today. We don't have online ministry teams. But we'll have online ministry teams for you Wednesday after I talk a little bit on Facebook Live. So around 7.30 Eastern time, be ready. But let's say yes to Jesus right now. Amen? So pray this prayer after me, everybody. God, I want to know you. I accept your gift of life to me. I accept Jesus' death and his resurrection from death that reversed the curse of sin and death in my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. The stuff I know, the stuff I don't know, just cover it all. Please reveal your love to me now as I turn from my way 
and turn toward your way. I will follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for hearing me and honoring my request. In Jesus' name. Now, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would send your spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you release baptisms of fire and baptisms of love in this room, online, everywhere, within the sound of my voice? God, would you come in a tangible way? Would you move upon us with your power, with your anointing, even for those of us who've been walking this thing for years? Would you come with a fresh baptism of fire today, God? Oh, come with your wind. Come with your rain. Come with your oil. Come with your fire. Just come again. Just come again. Just come again. Just come again. Do it again in our day, oh God. We want to see the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. Sovereign God, would you move in power? Would you move in power? Would you release your glory? Tangible fire. Tangible glory. Tangible love. Would you move in our midst right now? Blow, winds blow in your garden. Yes, you don't have to understand it all you just gotta receive receive that fire that's coming receive that, that glory that is moving upon you right now honey, amber, columns of glory in the spirit saturating you with this presence saturating you with this love and saturating you with fire that will raise up within you a boldness for the gospel of the kingdom day one starts today Day one starts today. The slate is clean. The fire is falling and his glory has come. And we remain in his, in his glory today. Now let that breaker anointing come. Breaker anointing come. Breaker anointing come. Break through our walls. Break through our history. We're no longer constrained by what we were but you have broken us through to a new freedom and we are overcomers and we're more than conquerors in you Christ Jesus oh let the breaker come 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 Jesus Yeshua the anointed one so now we open up this altar space come and receive prayer if you don't want prayer you just want to do business with God then just come and get on your knees before him you need healing oh we got it you need salvation oh we got it you need a fresh touch and a breakthrough that comes from the Holy Spirit you better believe that we got that but you got to respond to the word of the Lord I'm telling you you walk away from this place and you don't respond there's no assurance that the moment comes back again I say that with fear and trembling, but I know from my history the importance of responding to the word. Thank you for listening to this message from the Bridge Metro West in Natick, Massachusetts. Paul David Gidry is the senior pastor at the Bridge. For more information about the Bridge Metro West family, our gatherings and events, visit www.bridgemetrowest.com or call us at 508-651-0277.